Spotify. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricularist Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubricularist. Today, my friends, is Movie Monday. Move over Monday? It's Movie Monday. Which combines movies with Mondays, is what happens. Something I like to say at the top of every show, and I do believe fairly to moderately to very important on a movie Monday, is that there will be spoilers. Folks, please, this is probably your one and only spoiler warning. So, if you do not take heed of it, it could potentially cause a situation that will vary in its direness. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes as that is what helps others find the podcast. Thank you for those who have done so very, 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 very. Huh? Much appreciated. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsor, which is the Boston-made Magical Suitcase Zombie Survival Kit. Once again, today's sponsor is the Boston Made Magical Suitcase Zombie Survival Kit. Thank you to them. Hmm, very nice. Gotta get paid, right? Yeah. Wolfman Jack. Hey, that's not a bad Wolfman Jack impression. Wolfman Jack, uh, probably have no idea who that is. The overlap of people who listen to podcasts and people who listen to Wolfman Jack is both slim and fat chance that that happens, but yes, he was a radio DJ back in the 60s, I do believe. Wow, that hurts. (coughs) (coughs) Wow, I wonder how he did that. Way, way, way before my time, but he was in a movie, which makes sense because it's a movie Monday episode, the movie in question called uh, American Graffiti, if I do recall, uh, which is a good film. I do believe, possibly, also do believing, that uh, it was, uh, shit, what the hell is his name? Obi. <laughs> Ron Howard's first uh, directorial debut movie? Uh, I may be making that up. Anyways, we're not here to talk about American Graffiti, although now I have a hankering to watch that movie. We are here to talk about the three films that I have brought back to discuss for your listening pleasure. My voice raised at the end of that sentence to indicate it was a question. Folks, in an effort to get a little audience participation or perhaps a little feedback, you can tweet at me, I am Jordan underscore Maywood, or email me to the address provided in the closing credits. I would love to hear from you about any and all things the movie the first is called Somebody Up There Likes Me. Uh, this is interesting. 
in one regard in that when I looked at the uh, IMDb page for this movie, which I quite often do to get actors and actresses' names, uh, I noticed that there are actually two movies with the exact same title, which uh, is strange. You'd think uh, they would have perhaps, I don't know, looked into that when naming this movie. I am looking at, and did watch, the newer of the two. The other one was from the from the past. <laughs> I don't remember when. This one is from 2012, starring uh, Keith Polson, uh, Jess Wexler, Wexler. It's Wexler, but with an extra I in there, so I don't know if it's pronounced Wexler. She just appeared in a uh, movie Monday not too, too long ago, in which I talked about the movie Teeth and how much uh, I very much enjoyed that. I think I give it a four or five out of five. Yeah, very much like that movie. And uh, last but not least, Mr. Nick Offerman. Well, there's more people in it, but those are sort of the two main characters and Nick Offerman, who is not the main character, but top build for the reason, I guess, that he is the most famous of them. Famousest of them. So, uh, before I get in any further than that, I'm going to have to stop and get a little uh, go-go juice, because that's what we call gasoline up here in Canada. Do not question that fact. Would I lie to you? Canadians call gasoline go-go juice. That is a fact, people. It's a fact, Jack. If your name is Jack, it was as if I was talking directly to you, which I bet is weird for you. <sighs> I will be back after I pump some of said go-go juice into my automobile. Toodles. Editing. 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 On the road again. <laughs> Road again. That was the On the Road Again remix. Thank you for that voice box. Very, very much appreciated. Anyways, we were talking about somebody up there likes me. I have given you the stars. Keith Polson, who I am not sure if I've ever seen in anything, but would definitely, after watching this, like to see other things. Uh, very, very good job. Sort of the main character. He plays a dude who peri periodically over the course of 35 years will sort of check in on his progress and see how he is doing. <laughs> this movie is a little strange in that, and it's not really a strange movie, except for they added just, and, and I very much like this, they added one very, very weird thing to a movie that could be otherwise a sort of normal movie. And that is the fact that Keith Polson, who plays Max, has a magical suitcase that uh, when he opens it means he will not age. Mm -hmm. So other than that, <laughs> that one weird little tidbit, uh, this is a very, very down-to-earth sort of movie. Treading uh, probably in the dark comedy waters, I think is how you could describe it. Dark comedy, yeah, yeah, that's as good a description as any. And if you've listened to many of these podcasts, you will know I love a goddamn dark comedy. You know who also knows I love a dark comedy? Netflix, which, I should say, this is available on Canadian Netflix even, which most likely means available on the Americanized Netflix. I highly recommend, if you are a member of this fine organization, to go on and just rate a shit ton of movies. Just flick through them, rate them, flick through them, rate them. 
whenever you watch a movie, rate it, because their uh, computer software over there at Netflix that recommends movies for you based on your ratings and what you watch is pretty goddamn accurate. I have not once had them recommend a movie for me that I did not like, so good on them. On that note, I'm going to go, I think, a solid, super, super solid 4 out of 5, some perhaps some perhaps five out of five moments within this four out of five movie, okay? So along the way on this man's journey through life, he marries Jess Weixler, who plays Lila. And uh, also with him throughout is Nick Offerman, who plays Sal. Uh, Sal and Max, who work in, start off working in a restaurant, then uh, Lila's father dies, and I guess inherits a lot of monies. So they all sort of live in this giant house with a guest house that Nick Offerman lives in. Kind of a very strange situation. It turns out, we learn, that uh, also a bit of a love square develops between them in that um, Max and Lila, married, of course, at one point, presumably loved one another. Then Nick Offerman moves in there on Lila. I'm sort of jumping back and forth between saying their character names and their actual factual names, which is why I normally just stick with actor names, because that is easier. So that is what I'm going to do from this moment forward. Jess and Nick have an affair. Oh no. However, Keith and the nanny also have an affair. The nanny, whose name I did not write down, re either fictional or real, was pretty goddamn smoking hot, so I cannot blame him. So the movie starts with them dating, moves on into their marriage, and sort of problems with said marriage, seeing counselors, uh, sort of repeatedly checking in with the marriage counselor, psychiatrist, whatever you want to call her, her in the form of Megan Mullally, who, if you are unaware, is Nick Offerman's wife. So, uh, interesting. They never had any scenes together, but both in the same movie. They have a kid together. Something I like they did with the kid. Uh, and this is just one of those other little sort of weird quirky things that is different that sets this movie sort of apart from just these events happening normally. And that is, when you first see the kid, he's in uh, this red hat and glasses. Kind of a hipstery glasses. Then every time you check in over the course of these 35 years, he is older, played by a different actor, but still in the same hat and same glass. So uh, I like that they did that. There's uh, quite a bit of friction between father and son. It has to do with him basically leaving and having no contact with him and not understanding children and how to react around them. Eventually, Keith and Nick Offerman decide that they're going to open a restaurant called Pizza and Ice Cream. <laughs> Which I suppose is as good a name as any. It tells you right in the name what they're going to sell, so that's a bonus. Uh, apparently, this idea explodes across the nation, and they become millionaires with uh, franchisees and what have yous. And I will say, uh, I suppose, I'd give, suppose I'll give it away that uh, Keith Polson does eventually pass away. And uh, that's where the darkness in this quite often comedy, I suppose there's the divorce 
and the father and son hating one another. Okay, there's a lot of darkness, a lot of darkness, and light tinges here and there of comedy. Highly recommend this movie if you like this style of movie. If you don't, you may not like it. Okay, uh, my plan is to get two movies done on the way to work and save one for the way home, so that's just goddamn well what I'm going to do right now by moving on to movie the second, which is called... Cockneys versus Zombies, which almost rhymes. Cockneys versus Zombies. So, again, like pizza and ice cream, this title tells you exactly what this is about. Uh, I'm not quite 100% sure, even after watching this movie, what makes it, what makes someone a Cockney. I believe it is a combination of the specific geographical area that they grew up in in uh, England. And I know it's a sort of dialect in the sense that people with Cockney accents have different accents than, say, someone from London or what have you. Yeah? This is just my assumption based on tidbits of information on the subject gathered throughout the years. How accurate it is is not 100% most likely. Oh, get in your lane, buddy. Someone driving in my lane. <laughs> we only have room for one car, so that was not wise. Idiot. This movie, it's kind of what you expect. Yeah, let's say that. It is almost a, I think how you could phrase it is, it's like the movie Shaun of the Dead, but half as good. Half as good as Shaun of the Dead. Now, that being said, Shaun of the Dead one of the greatest movies ever made. So, to be half as good as that movie doesn't mean you're a bad movie. Hmm, yeah. On that note, I'm going to go... Uh, not a solid 3 out of 5, but a weak 3 out of 5. <laughs> some some two moments, maybe even the odd four moments. The four moments would most likely come in the form of Alan Ford. Alan Ford is an actor who... Me saying the name probably do not recognize. However, if you get a look at his mug, I am fairly certain you will. Probably most widely known from his parts in the movie Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which are, if you haven't seen, some of the greatest movies ever made. Yes. He's that sort of uh, grizzled, mafioso English don't mess with him or I'll cut your balls off type, and he's playing that in this movie. However, he's got some years on him, so he's in an old folks home. So it's as if, the way I, lo the way I like to think of it is it's as if the, the guys from Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels is now elderly and living in an old folks home. And then, what happens? Zombie apocalypse? Yeah, as it does from time to time. His grandkids, in the form of uh, two guys and a girl learn that the old folks' home he is living in is going to be shut down because they have no monies. So, what do they do? Decide to rob a bank, of course. Yeah. Uh, they rob a bank, they get in there, they're, they're doing their robbing thing, or about to. And uh, I like that scene, actually, because the sort of bank manager comes up to them as they're dressed. Uh, I guess it's almost construction workers. Yeah, it's construction workers. And says, oh, you're here for the money? They just sort of nod unknowingly, and uh, the bank manager leads them into the vault with two million uh, pounds of money. And by that I mean not pounds as in weight, 
but pounds is in. Uh, this case takes place in uh, England, so pounds sterling is that what they call? It? Anyways, shit regarding the bank robbery starts to go down in that they're surrounded by cops. They decide that the only way to escape is go out guns a blazing, which seems ridiculous. However, they head out and all the cops are gone. In fact, everyone's gone. What's going on? This is weird. Well, we made it away. That's good. Oh no, what are these zombies? From that moment on, it is these three, along with someone they hired for the bank robbery, this sort of gun-crazy, not-very-nice dude who you know is going to be zombified at some point, along with a hostage in the form of a, I guess, bank teller and a businessman of some sort. They're making their way towards the old folks' home to save Gramps and all the other old folks. Uh, from that point, point on, it's sort of your typical zombie movie, um, gun-toting man gets bitten at one point and turns, uh, other people drop along the way, lots of guns, which, uh, as I understand, it's not too easy to get a hold of guns over there in jolly old England, so, whatever, gotta have guns in a zombie apocalypse. I will say that, uh, it ends as you think it would, with people being saved and going away from the zombies, uh, by boat. The end. All right, I'm going to go ahead and do eight hours of work, and I will be back in that amount of time to talk about more. I will say one final thing, which is, of course, oh my god, love you, series. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again! Eight hours of work completed on a movie Monday that, in actuality, is a Tuesday after Thanksgiving long weekend. That song fell a little apart at the end, however, when you're riffing, man, yeah, when you're riffing, it's not always gonna be, um, roses and, and pixie dust. Oh boy, oh boy. Why don't I jump right in without further preamble, because preambling apparently is difficult. The Heat is movie the third, the, followed by the word heat. This is a recently released on DVD film starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCartney. Yes, that one. It is buddy cop moviness at its moviness. Uh, I kind of wanted to say that this movie has been done a million times, and it has. Differences being is sort of the gender role reversal, which I think we've never seen before? Question mark? Has there ever been a buddy cop movie where the two main buddies were in fact budettes? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. It may exist. Who knows? Now, that is on the downside of this movie, and even that is sort of a question. Is that necessarily a bad thing, that this has been done a million times? Mm, it can be. It can be. Now, on the upside, it's been done a million times, but the heat did it very, very well, in the sense that... I laughed many times, out loud, no less. 
And uh, that's kind of all I'm looking for in a buddy cop movie. Does it have laughs? Will my laughter be out loud and not a quiet chuckle in my head? Uh, and it wasn't. Or it was. I don't know how that sentence started, so I didn't know how to end it. Needless to say, I laughed many, many times. And how about unprofessionally, as I do, give out my rating right off the bat so I don't forget. And uh, go solid four. Yeah, solid four out of five. The Mrs., who I watched this with, gave it a three. Which, for her, is a very, very high because she has a broken scale for some reason. Her movie rating scale does not make any sense, is what I mean. For example, Rush Hour, which is a fine film, gets a 5 out of 5 on her scale. And that is quite obviously broken. This movie, better than Rush Hour, I would say. Hey, coincidentally, both uh, buddy cop movies. How about that? It's got your other typical buddy copness in that one of the cops in question, in this case Sandra Bullock, is your sort of uh, uptight, by-the-book, neat freak, just very that character, type A personality, I think uh, is how you could describe it. And then there's Melissa McCartney. So far, nothing I'm saying you don't know, because it's quite obvious in the trailers as well. She's your messy, foul mouth. She likes to do things her way. It's her way, or the highway. And uh, she doesn't care whose toes she steps on. She's going to get it done, no matter how she has to go about doing it. (laughs) And she's messy, and slovenly, and drinks a lot, and smokes, and blah, 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 blah. Again, seen the same sort of dynamic a million times. But, and I'm going to keep saying but, they did it very well. So, is that bad, or is it good? I'm going to say good, because why not? I think the fact that the gender roles have been swapped, and that every other time this movie has been done, and it has been done a lot, it's usually guys in these roles, uh, I think it allowed them to perhaps get into some areas that uh, they would not have otherwise, which uh, that is a good thing. And maybe that's why I'm not being down on this movie, doing things that have been done a million times, because they are females in this case. Uh, It's not 100% things we have seen before, because there's going to be some lady bits. (laughs) Lady bits, yeah. The sort of premise of this movie, I guess you would say, is that Sandra Bullock, who's actually an FBI agent and not a cop, uh, is sent to Boston to capture and bring to justice a drug dealer who's killing people and is a very, very bad man, yada, yada. She is forced to work with Melissa McCartney for the reason that Melissa knows the mean streets of Boston and can be invaluable. Uh, Yeah, as a premise, I'm not sure how realistic that is. I would kind of like to hear from someone who works for the FBI. I know I have a huge, huge listenership within the FBI, but does that scenario make any sense? The other thing is that Sandra Bullock, the sort of premise set right in the very first scene, I do believe it was, is that she is a bit of a know-it-all. She works for the FBI and is solving cases left, right, and censor. Censor. Whatever. Censor. Yeah. Left, right, and censor. That's a new saying I'm trying out. Let me know what you think of it.
uh, maybe the title of this episode, Left, Right, and Censor. Oh, boy. What was I saying? Yeah, so uh, she's she's very cocky, but cocky almost rightfully so, because she's so good at her job. Now, the one downside of this personality is that she kind of rubs it in other people's faces a little bit. So, her boss is reluctant to give her the big promotion until he learns that he can work well with others. Which is sort of the, the underlying premise there is that if she can work well with Melissa McCartney, she'll get the promotion. Bling, bling, bah, bling, bling. Again, that sort of uh, twist there seems a little bit on the unbelievable side. Uh, I don't know. Whatever, it's a movie. Suspension of disbelief is a necessary thing in most movies, and uh, I don't mind it, because I use movies, as I use all the medias that I consume, primarily for a escape from reality, so suspending my disbelief I do not find too, too difficult. What I've done here is written down some of the cast members, the additional cast members, and that uh, will just maybe kind of take us into the remainder of the movie. For example, Marlon Wayans, who haven't seen too many Wayneses in a while, but uh, did a very, very good job, was working for the Boston FBI and kind of had a little thing for Sandra Bullock, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of flirty, little flirty thing on the go, maybe, maybe not, we don't really know. Uh, I like that, it was a good dynamic between the two of them. Sandra Bullock, man, she is a little slice of all right, I will say that. Yeah, it was uh, just my, my sort of type, the brunette. I got a thing for brunettes, like the misses, for example. Brunettes in glasses, in particular. Hey, the misses just happens to be a brunette in glasses. What are the odds? Michael Rappaport? <laughs> Michael Rappaport? I love the last name Rappaport. It's got too many P's, or not enough P's, I'm not sure. Michael Rappaport, the first scene with him is he's in jail. He's playing Melissa McCartney's sister. And I said to the missus at this point, and she couldn't recall, and it may not have been with her, but I seem to remember the last time I saw Michael Rappaport in a movie, he was in jail. If you, listening to this, in the FBI, well, <coughs> know what movie I'm talking about, please, please let me know. Because I'm racking my brains. And I cannot think of this. This brother of Melissa McCartney is kind of sort of kind of sort of wrapped up with this drug lord a little bit which allowed the writers of this movie to bring in the whole fan family or damn family if you prefer uh which was good because i'm gonna assume and i think probably rightly so that melissa mccartney's bostonian family was exaggerated for the purposes of comedy however I suppose, within every comedic exaggeration, there's got to be a grain of truth. And over the years in seeing crazy Bostonian families, there's certain things that pop up that uh, this particular family shared. <laughs> so it makes me think, uh, you know, is there some truth in them being crazy and saying retarded? but saying retarded, and drinking a lot, and fighting, and swearing, and a general sort of brewing anger, and uh, probably not hatred, anger and love, actually, yeah. 
it's almost a kind of uh, a family sit down where it will always erupt in swearing and violence and anger, but deep down they love one another and will do anything to protect their own. So it had that kind of feel. Shit, I didn't write it down, but uh, I think Bill Burr was one of the brothers, one of the other brothers of this family. Uh, Jane Curtin played the mother. I haven't seen her in quite a while either. Probably not since, if I had to recall. Uh, Third Rock from the Sun, which, if you have not seen Third Rock from the Sun, highly, highly recommend uh, a sitcom from the 90s, was it? Oh man, if it was, I'm old. Anyways, have it on DVD. Uh, very, very good. John Lithgow is good in anything, but when he is playing a crazy alien living with an alien family hiding from humanity, and occasionally, goddamn, William Shatner will make a guest appearance, it's going to be, uh, you know, a show that I enjoy, and it is that. This movie also followed some of the usual tropes of uh, Melissa and Bullock, hating one another right off the bat, developing a sort of respect, hating each other once again, and then towards the end of the movie, liking one another and being friends. So, 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 so very typical, which, looking back, kind of makes me think, oh, God, just typical coming out the yin-yang. Now, they, they did it well, but please, try to not be typical, movies. I think it is in movie makers' best interest to stray away from the typical. Because although, if you do it well, it's going to be a good movie, it is, I believe, difficult to do it well enough to make up for the fact that you're doing something that's been done a million times. So, there you go. I spent more time on the heat than I had planned, but hey, what are you going to do, right? I'm going to leave that talk behind with just saying that it has an albino in it. You know, an albino gentleman. An albino gentleman. That's hard to say. And you know it is. So, with that said, difficultly, I will say, as I do from time to time, 201 times now, if I'm counting correctly, which I probably am not, that it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.